1: You're listening to The Times. Go to thetimes.co.uk. Every goal, every game, everywhere. The Times and the Sunday Times.
2: Now with goals. Hello and welcome to The Game, the football podcast from The Times. I'm Gabriel Marcotti. Now before we begin, do not forget, you can catch the highlights from every single Premier League game before anyone else Accept truth in advertising the people who are actually in the stadium simply by downloading the Times app to your smartphone. In the studio today, I am delighted uh, to be joined by Allison Rudd. Down the line, we have Matt Hughes, and also in the studio, we have Rory Smith smiley. Really smile, what, what, you,
1: you, you want a bigger fanfare? No, it's just, it, there's just an, an, an inherent structural prejudice against me on this, on this podcast.
2: Because you're here more often than anybody else. People take it for granted. I don't introduce myself, right? You I do? Don't, I don't sit there <laughs> and saying like, uh,
3: Hello, I'm Gabriel McCarty. <laughs> this is true, this
2: is true. All touche, right, all right, touche.
3: Sturridge. Suarez has made an excellent run. Here's Luis Suarez. And there is goal number three. Manchester United
2: have been demolished. Now, let's get straight into it and start off with the big game in the Northwest. Now, you'll notice a slightly different setup this week. We're going to talk about three games because it was Super Sunday. And, of course, um, the league leaders lost to Paul Lambert's Villa. But let's let's go right to Old Trafford. Usually, the, one of the things is sometimes you can kind of feel it coming. So many people suggested that this was the first time that... Uh, Liverpool were going to Old Trafford really as, as favourites or as, as expecting to, to win. Maybe they weren't Bookie's favourites, but probably since, goodness me, since the, 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 the since they last won a title, possibly. But do you think that's something that United felt, and is it something that, that Moys felt?
3: I, I agree that there's almost an air of inevitability about this, this result. I was actually off yesterday doing things, got in the car on the radio, they were talking about a shock result at Old Trafford. For a minute I thought Manchester United may have actually won. um <laughs> I, I just Liverpool's um superiority all, all, all season has, has been has been pretty clear and the way they start games under Rodgers, so quick and intense. United have shown this season whenever um, they've been put under pressure there but unable to respond. So um having seen how Liverpool started I, I could only see only see one winner.
1: I uh... Also was, was, um, was otherwise engaged during the, the live game. I was, I was watching Milan against Parma, Gab, but I have since watched the entire game. Uh, you'll be delighted to know. And
2: I would expect you all to have done so to prepare.
1: The two things that I would say is that I don't think that's anywhere near Liverpool's best performance of the season, quite some way away from it. I think they've been much better. I, I've actually seen Liverpool play better and win and win better at Old Trafford when they won four-one in two thousand and nine. That was a better performance. Why is that? Because Rafa was there. No, because it, it was a better Which performance. Rafa makes everything better. It was a more complete performance against the better team. What was really striking yesterday? Okay, but I'm sorry. No, no, no. But the, the
2: point is that was a shock performance.
1: Exactly. Right? What was what was really striking on Sunday was that Liverpool didn't need to be at their best. They didn't need to play that well, and nobody was surprised. And. There was just no resistance from United, which I thought was was staggering. There was no, apart from Raphael, who probably boiled over. There was no kind of passion, no defiance, not nothing on, on the pitch.
2: Earlier in the season, right, or we were all suggesting, or many were suggesting that Liverpool couldn't succeed because the central defenders aren't good. Agger, Skrtel, Colatour, whoever's in there, they all make mistakes and they're not good, and Liverpool can see stupid goals. Then Lucas gets hurt, and it's like, oh, and then Jared has that game against uh, against Villa, where he got housed and said, oh no, they can never win. Jared's legs have gone; he can't sit in front of the back four. And before that, of course, it was Suarez and Sturge, Who can they play together? Right? It's it's all BS, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, it's all overreactions, right? I mean, I mean, I'm, 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 or am I wrong here?
0: Uh, or is but, it just that well, United were horrible? I think. I think. The reason people keep coming up with reasons why Liverpool cannot win the title, or why Liverpool won't be as good as they maybe could be this season, is is partly because they had they had such a bad start under Rodgers. So no one, no one, it's not it doesn't go with the football folklore that you're allowed to turn things around. You're so talking about completely. last season, right? Yeah, last season. It's, any turn around should take longer than it's taken. So what Rodgers seems to be doing is. And has done this season. Is he'll, ha- he'll have a poor game where maybe the tactics aren't right. Maybe he's played Coutinho and he shouldn't have, or Allen and he shouldn't have, and maybe the defenders have made a mistake. And so it's just very easy when there's been that glaring error to say, 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 it's Skirtle it has a bit of a nightmare. Oh my goodness, you know, they just don't have strength and depth in in defence. They're always going to lead goals. Yeah, they're very exciting going forward, but defensively they're poor. But with each successive game, they seem to be able to iron, iron it out. There's, whatever they've said, there seems to be great self-belief, probably because they've got a sports psychiatrist and no one else has. But they just seem able to say, okay, that went, that went wrong, we'll, we'll tweak, We'll not let it get to us. We'll keep going and have faith in our <laughs> amazingly talented and quick players. And that's not supposed to happen. It's not supposed you, to be that easy. And yet they've made it work. You,
2: sorry, I, 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 on, on that point, Husey, I, I want to ask you. Uh, I know, sorry, Roy, you want to say something, but um, you know, we have to defer to Husey here. Absolutely. In, in, in a league where so many teams, or certainly where, where, where the... The, the stereotype abroad, certainly the Premier League, is that um, tactically it is what it is. It's difficult for managers to go and get their players to uh, take on board tactical instructions, and so that's why so many teams play the same way. It, was, it used to all be four four two. Now it's mostly four two three one. Here you have a manager who I think has used like four or five different schemes this season, who goes and plays a diamond. Which, you know, again, conventional wisdom, right? Uh, you, He's playing two strikers, which supposedly in the modern game you, you can't do anymore. He's playing without wingers, which supposedly in the modern game you can't do anymore. Um, he's, he's got Gerrard as a deep line playmaker, which you know supposedly you can't do because you need a holding player. Well, well what's Rodgers doing? I mean, how, how does he get his guys to buy into it?
3: Well, the, the crucial point is that the players he's changed around and tinkered with, Suarez, Sturridge... Sterling, to an extent Coutinho, they're, they're all playing really, really well. And if you're if you're confident and you're at the top of your game, it's pretty easy to take on new instructions. If you're one matter and you're struggling and you get shunted out wide on the right, it, I think you'll find it more, more difficult and you, you struggle to buy into something if, if you're not playing well. I mean, Rodgers, to a large extent, with, with the exception of Suarez, he's kind of made and created these players, particularly... Daniel Sturridge and Raheem Sterling, maybe to a lesser extent Coutinho. I mean, he's he's responsible for their their great form and the fact that they've become sort of superstars this year. So they're going to they're going to listen to the manager aren't they? They're going to buy into what he says. Also, in terms of yesterday, he picked a very good day to play with a, with a narrow diamond because Manchester United don't have any wingers either. Uh, they may notionally have Mata and Yanislav, but they're they're not. They're not going to work the flank. They're going to look to come in. So width was probably never going to be a big issue yesterday. And Ron Rodgers noticed that and picked him accordingly, and it, and it paid off.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. I think he, he deserves a huge amount of credit for the way he's coached the players to to sort of to get the best out of them. I, think, I still think there's a question mark over Rogers's record in the transfer market, despite okay, we're not two to mean, or three successes. Tactical. Tactical but now, so. in terms of his coaching ability, yes, absolutely, he's improved players. That's a huge factor. Right,
2: there's a bunch of penalties in this game, I'm assuming we, all, we feel they were all... Fairly clear cut except for the Sturridge one and then the fourth one which should have been given but which, you know, the ref, Mr. Sensible missed. I'm assuming the only debate on the penalties apart from the fact that I think there were shocking penalties to go away. I think there's only two points. One, should Raphael have been sent off? And I want to get you, Alison, because you're the qualified Indeed. referee. Yes. For a while we heard that if it's an intentional handball, it should be a booking. That was a directive for a while now. As I understand I did some research on this. That seems to have disappeared. And, um... Apparently, Klattenberg was entitled not to book Raphael. Now, what I'm curious about here, here is if he had, wasn't already on a yellow, would he have booked him? Would you have booked him?
0: It, no. You, as the rules stand, I think, you are obliged to send him off. Never mind booking. You're obliged to send him off if he's um, denied a goal-scoring opportunity. Done. And it wasn't that. No. The only rather reason you'd have for booking him... Is if you decided it was um, unsporting, unsporting behaviour, and I think if I you intentionally handled the
2: ball, is that not unsporting behaviour? No, behavior? but there's
0: different ways of, of intentionally handling the ball, and if you look at it, it does look <laughs> like it was one of those instinctive, jutting your arm out in almost panic, yeah, as opposed to okay. premeditated cynical uh-huh. behaviour. So I don't, th- I don't, I don't think it was a t- you know Husey, hugely controversial not to book it.
2: Usually, what's the difference between instinctive and unintentional, please? Since you went to Cambridge and Alison didn't. <laughs>
3: Uh, I didn't study behavioral psychology. I you would have booked
2: him, wouldn't you? Yeah, probably. Thank you. I, 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 to me, that's pretty open and shut. To me, this was this, was a, this was a crystal clear case. <laughs>
0: yeah, open and shut. Alison Rudd says, no, you shouldn't have booked him. No, but this is a crystal yeah, clear case. Yeah, probably, and that's open and so, shut.
2: This is a crystal clear case of a referee... I'm not suggesting he's a bad referee, but who believes in the discretion and in not spoiling the game, you know, uses whatever wiggle room that the rules give him to interpret this, whichever, whichever way he wants to interpret He knew perfectly well that Rafael was on a yellow card, and that's why he did not send him off. Am I
1: wrong, Roy? I think that's
2: probably what happened,
1: yeah. Yes! The problem is that, A, there's, there's quite a lot of handballs this weekend across, across the Premier League. And all of them were given for different reasons. Like Some were intentional, some were malicious, some were flirtatious, malicious handball. <laughs> some were kind of <laughs> arrogant. So, you know what I mean? There's all these different interpretations, and a lot of them are mutually exclusive. That, the handball thing massively needs clearing up. I wouldn't book anyone for giving away a penalty, unless it's violent conduct. I think that the penalty is punishment enough.
2: All right, David Moyes, any positives he can take for this and how much of this is on him? And how much is on the players. I I feel bad. I feel like we're, we're picking on him every week, but then again you you have <laughs> this you, you, you have these absurd performances. But Hughes in particular, like he's done th- he's done the letter to the fans. He's had Van Persie come out and support him. I think the next thing we'll get is an appeal from Sir Alex. And then what happens next? I'm
3: increasingly clear with you that what happens next is that he leaves in the summer. I don't think that will happen, but I think it it probably should reached the point where you you pity the manager of Manchester United, which is just it's just wrong. On why? On so what do many you levels.
2: pity his six year
1: contract? No, I, I feel sorry for him too. I feel really sorry for him. All.
3: I mean, he looks look. <laughs> you know, I know he's from <laughs> Glasgow, but he's getting he's gone beyond pale. He's almost translucent. Every time you see him, he's um, he aged ten years, and he's he's, he's so ashen faced. He's just clearly. <laughs> Struggling so much to I, um, get to grips with, him all, with his task of his tactics, and he's parroting the same, very similar lines every week. Nothing, nothing has changed. Anything, it, it's it's got worse. Not just him, of course. It's the whole club. And almost every decision they've made came back to last May has, has gone wrong. Well, they even signed some Jan- big
2: sponsorship deals. Remember that? Yeah,
3: okay. They've got a few nice official uh, soy sauce partners. But um, even looking at sort of January, February, the supposed good news. One matter's a forty million pounds panic buy. Wayne Rooney is is a three hundred grand a week panic contract extension. They don't. There's no clear strategy, strategy here, and I think you know they they could. This is being alarmist. They, things could get worse before they get better. They they could be looking at you know a sustained period out outside the top four if, if the other clubs continue to improve as they have done.
1: Well, you look at I mean Gianluca Vialli's come out and said that he would have been sacked three times in Italy. Uh, Blanc said something very similar about France.
2: That he, I think he'd have been sacked at any other club. I, w- I want to clarify what what Viali said. Go on. He said, but he said it is like, oh, because we're bad in Italy because we would have sacked him three times because. Oh, is that right? Yeah, because Luca's is a huge Anglophile. He certainly wasn't having a go at Moyes. Well, Blanc sounds
1: like he was having a go at him, <laughs> or or at United. What's and that's true. He would. I think he'd have been sacked at any other club, any other comparable club. He would have gone in December, and that to an extent, that's to United's credit that they're prepared to give this. Give him time and all that stuff. But is ta- it or is it a
2: sign of United's stupidity that n- well, no. gave six-year
1: th- deal? If only you'd let me finish my sentences, Gap. So that's the, the problem that United have is that they're locked into this myth of the past, which is that, that time is the panacea that cures all ills, and it's not. Ferderson worked out partly... But Ferguson was given time as he finished second in his first full season. And was then given time because he got this great record at Aberdeen and he turned them into a European force and all this stuff. There was reason to believe that with time, Ferguson would get better. There is no reason to believe that with time, Moyes would get better. I agree with Husey. I don't think he'll go in the summer. But at the same time, I am staggered that I don't think he'll go in the summer.
2: Here's Thomas Rosinski
3: for Arsenal. Plenty of space for me, even in these early stages. Back for Rosinski! What a hit that is! Arsenal leading by Golden Hill. Absolute stunner from Thomas Rosinski, And it's taken less than 80 seconds for Arsenal to find their way through.
2: Moving on to the big North London derby. Alison, you were there. We disagreed even before the cameras, uh, before the, the tape recorder started rolling. By the way, can I just say like, all right, there's four of us in this studio, Allison, myself, Roy, and uh, our producer, Dave McGuire. One of us is wearing unmatched socks, and I know this because one of us felt the need to take his shoes off in the presence of a lady. So
1: I I do apologize. (laughs) I am wearing fresh socks. I just want to make that clear. There's no aroma problem. Why are they unmatched? Is that like a quirky? Oh, being,
2: like quirky English? No, them?
1: because I've got loads of... All my socks are roughly... They're all M&S socks. I don't care what colour they are. It's not like, they're, like one's red and one's green. They're both black. They've just got different toes. That's all. I've got new shoes and they're really hurting me, so I have to take them off.
0: Enough sock gate.
2: All right. Spurs and Arsenal. Um, Alison, you were there and we had this discussion beforehand. I thought Spurs played really well and battered them, as they say. And I thought Arsenal got the early goal, sat back, defended, could have conceded, didn't and i don't think spurs played that badly you disagreed
0: yeah no, I, I i think the early goal defined the match and it sort of meant that arsenal didn't feel they needed to do too much it was it had that aura about it tee he we've scored a great goal see let's see what you can do which was a reasonable stance to take because the the arsenal back line were really good and very calm and cope with everything but i know what you, i know what you're saying there were Lots of crosses from Spurs, lots of attacks, but it was like being thumped by a granny. It, it didn't ever—I never really felt Spurs were going to score, and the clever stuff and the composed stuff came from Arsenal.
2: Susie, am I wrong to be uh, to, to, to actually see some positive in, in Tottenham's performance despite the loss and 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 not sharing Arsenal's celebration of? Of, sorry, uh, Alisson's celebration of, of Arsenal. And considering, too, with uh, Arsenal, no Theo Walcott, no Wilshere, no Ramsey, no... Uh, so, you know, this is kind of some Podolsky, Rositsky, you know, you know kind of the scrubs playing.
3: Uh, As Alisson says, the goal changes the gold change game. oxford chairman is a great start after 20 minutes. If that goes in 2-0, it really is game over. And for, for what I saw, Tottenham had a lot of energy and possession and... Dominated territory, but they didn't really create too many clear-cut chances, and it was all they, they, they play a bit like their manager. He sort of jumps around on the sidelines, effing and blinding. But is there much intelligence and creativity behind that? I'm, I'm not really sure there is.
2: Well, let's talk about the manager. Let's
1: talk about the gilet. <laughs> let's talk. A, yeah. Let's talk gilet. He wasn't wearing one.
0: Well, he was. He then was. not And he then he was. hurled it yeah. off in anger. He was. I think
1: he removed it. I don't he removed he his it. gilet. A powerful metaphor for what he wanted his, um, his
2: side to do. It was do. one of the warmest March weekends in, so, in recorded history. Well, I, I don't even
1: I don't understand what the point of a gilet is. If you're cold, wear a jacket. If you're not cold, don't wear a jacket. You don't understand what the point of a gilet is? Well, how, well no, they're, they're just a, a pointless halfway house. No, It's so a very, it,
0: very Sherwood item of clothing because it leaves his arms free for gesticulation.
1: Exactly. That's exactly what it is. I agree with Hughesy's interpretation of Sherwood completely. I think there's a lot of... I hate this thing in English football where the better... like We, we, we look at a manager jumping around on the touchline and shouting, and we think it's a good thing. We think he's showing passion. And then we take a manager like Laudrup, not that he was flawless, but we say, oh, well, you know, sitting down during games, you know, he you know, wasn't, you know, inspiring his players. They can't hear you. Do you know what I mean? There's 30,000 people there screaming. The players can't hear the manager. You're better off sitting there watching the game and then telling them what to do at half-time. The whole Sherwood pantomime on the touchline, if he wants to, I think he's a talented coach and he could be a good manager. If he wants to fulfill that promise, calm down and watch the football.
0: But he's, already, he's promised yesterday he's not going to calm down and watch the football.
1: <sighs> it's just, I just, it infuriates me. It's not a, we see it as a, as a positive trait, it isn't. It's a massive negative. It really a I, massive I agree.
2: It's just depend on the person and what they do, and, and it only becomes a negative when the media starts talking right. about this uh, rather, than uh, how, uh, rather than how they play. Like, uh, I At mean, the
1: very least, it is it is ineffective. It's either ineffective or potentially. That, is he making rational decisions about tactics when he's when he's jumping around getting angry with Mikel Arteta or Georges? Is he is he make, is that helping him think clearly? No, it's not.
2: How do you know? Well, what are you? Is He a like to be, I mean, what, well, This what? is
1: logical. You need to be dispassionate. If you want to make rational decisions, you need to take emotion out of it. And Sherwood's not doing that.
2: First of all, th- there is something. There's that little sneaky thing we in the media do, like, ooh, he spent $100 million on players. Like, you know, not him, but Spurs have and whatever. It's being depicted as, as Sherwood versus Levy versus Baldini, the director of football. You know, we don't quite know. There's, there's Louis van Gaal talking about how he's going to take over the club. I, for me personally, while I adore van Gaal as a, um, well, I adore mid-'90s van Gaal, I, I, can, I can think of few worse options for Spurs than him. I can't think of, of many, but anyway, you I don't think it would be the right option. If you were Levy and he came to you for advice and he says, Alison, I really don't know what to do here. Can you <laughs> tell me, please, uh, how would you play this going forward? What should I tell Tim? Should I just say? Well,
0: you know, I think, you, oh, I think what you do is you test, you test Tim Sherwood's avowed devotion to the club and say, that wasn't bad, Tim. But you've got a lot to learn. I'm going to have you as an... Uh, Tim And Tim will go because he doesn't want to be an assistant. But it'd be worth asking him. I'm going to test whether you are as passionate about staying at Spurs as you say you are. You can be number two to someone who's a great in the game. There's about 20 Dutch managers who claim they want to go there. Pick one of them that you get on well with. Because with Levy it's all about who he gets on with, not about their credentials. And I, do, I think that could work brilliantly. Someone calm, mature, twenty years older than Sherwood. Okay, so not He's been there, hell, then. done it. I I, I I don't know his character flaws as well as you do, Gap, but someone of that ilk who comes in who comes in with everything that Sherwood doesn't have, which is years and years of experience in big then. clubs. Perfect. <laughs> That's you're describing.
1: I'm, a bit, I'm, I'm a bit concerned as if if Sherwood is, is relegated to the position of kind of he won't do it touchline dynamo shouting at the players. What does Stefan Freund do? <laughs> that, that That's point. basically his job. <laughs> that, that is
0: it. Uh, what I mean, you, 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 sacrificial lamb.
2: You're <laughs> closer to, uh, to 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 these guys anyway uh, to Spurs than these guys anyway. What's your sense now of what of what Levy's options are and and, and what's he seriously weighing up and also. Levy doesn't actually own the club, right? Uh, Joe Lewis was 100 years old and, um, and is a tax exile, as I understand it. It's but you'll never, n-
0: you'll never know what he thinks because he he's one of the many owners who don't speak. So we have to go with on Levy, don't we?
2: No, but his daughter, who's married to a former Liverpool player, likes to speak a lot. Um, and I think that's how a lot of people get an idea of what Spurs might do next. What do you think he will do and what should he do?
3: Um, I think there's very little chance of Tim Sherwood staying. I, I don't think he, whatever he did, he was really going to stay. Tim Sherwood's done a great job. Uh, for Tim Sherwood, really, he's got a, got himself an 18-month contract. Um, he's been very good with the media. Talks a great game. Gives, gives great copy, and he's he's very, he's, you know, he's what you see really. Um, he's he's very emotional, passionate guy, a football man, as they say. Whether he's a manager. We don't, we don't know. Um, one thing that slightly irritates me about this debate is um, lots of the genuine debate to be had about whether Eng- young English managers get, get a chance, should be given more chances. But we've conflated that with Tim Sherwood deserves a chance. No, he doesn't. He's been given an amazing opportunity take, with no experience, taken over Tottenham mid-season, and he's done okay. That doesn't mean that he deserves to be managing a... To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Top five club. Um, and I think as time has gone on, he, he did well with it in his initial bounce. He got out of playing. But as time has gone on, his sort of level has been found. And I think if he did get the job next year, he would last for about November. Um, so Levy's met um, Van Hal twice. And I, I expect that um, that deal, deal to be done pretty, pretty promptly come. Come May,
2: June. Alison, uh, well, if that happens, we'll have plenty of time to talk about uh, Fan Hell. But um, Alison, final point I, about Tottenham squad. I think they've signed some mostly very good players um, who, for one reason or another, haven't performed to the level that um, we expected or have just been injured. Sherwood was asked about this after the game. Did he give you a. Yeah, this is astonishing.
0: A... I think this is astonishing. Please tell me if it wasn't astonishing. But he, he says again that the players are not his cup of tea and they're not playing the way he would like. So he's asked, and he mentions them not being world class or not all of them being world class. So he's asked, Tim, which of your players would you say are world class? I don't think any manager should answer that question (laughs) for a start unless he can say they all are. So he says, "Oh, oh, he's world class. Oh, yeah, he's world class. Don't care what he did before, world class for me. And I quite like the goalie. And that's his answer. I mean, talk about taking a group of players who've just tried to lift themselves, having been told they're gutless, and then telling that most of them are nowhere near world class and you can't even be bothered saying what the goalie's name is. Is I mean, some people might say that's passion and a football man. I think it's just a bit immature.
3: And this is Delft now for Aston Villa. As Voiman to his left. Chelsea is stretched here. Voiman. Delph! Oh, what a touch! What a brilliant touch by Delph with
2: eight minutes to go. Chelsea have been made to pay for that red card. All right, enough of this. Let's move on to celebrating Paul Lambert, Villa and Chelsea. Now, Mourinho is very angry, and sometimes Mourinho gets angry and manipulative in a selective memory. I think he's entirely right to go absolutely demented. Over what we saw in this game, the not pe- the penalty not given early on, uh, William's second yellow, which you could argue wasn't even a foul. Obviously, Ramirez should have received ten red cards for what he did, and then at the end. We have this stupid system where um, we have to wait for Chris Foy's referees' report, which you presumably will, will file via by carrier pitch. And funny enough, in Spain, the referees' reports are available an hour after the match because you have referees who actually get off their rear ends and work. me, am I wrong here? Is, there, is there, I mean, Mourinho's right this time, right?
3: I, I did feel a bit sorry for Chelsea on Saturday, which is a fairly unusual emotion as a regular at Sanford Bridge. Yeah, <laughs> um, I, I thought the message... Goal was harshly disallowed, and William harshly sent off. Ramirez, on the other hand, should be should have a partial ban, ban for seven, ban ban from the country for seven games. It was a terrible challenge. If it happened, if it occurred to a Chelsea player, Mourinho would, would still be in orbit. So we have to bear that in mind before we get too sympathetic towards him.
1: I, yeah, William was no way of booking. Uh, Matic, it's tricky. You've you, you seen him given, you've seen him have, seen seen them not given. The main thing, though, I think, is do you not think there is an element that Mourinho kind of, what kind of, wanted to get sent off so that he didn't have to talk about Ramirez?
2: No, I don't. Do you I know not mean, think? I, I think Mourinho just just lost his. You know, his, his, he seemed his, very calm on the touchline. He wasn't yeah. angry on the touchline, was he? Yeah, no. But I, I think he went in. He thought he was going to talk to the referee for for whatever reason. Maybe again, just put something nicer in his report. Or I, I, I don't know. I mean, the reality is he will have to talk about Ramirez. Delph, he's having a tremendous season. I think somebody. Um, talked about him for, for England. Uh, I think it was Cascarino. Cascarino, yeah. Delph, as a teenager, was supposed to be the next big thing. Moves to Villa with Martin O'Neill, actually. That doesn't, doesn't seem to like him too much. Some injuries, whatever. Um, but he's having a good season. Is he? Should Roy be looking at him, or should he wait for Delft to move to a more fashionable club before he does?
3: He should wait for Delph to produce more consistently. I've seen him have some very good games, and I've seen him have games where he barely features at all. Uh, I think the World Cup is is too late for him, but looking forward towards um, the the Euros when Gerard and Lampard will finally be no, no longer be with us, at least in playing capacity. Um, he, he could have an option, but I mean you know, we we've got Henderson and, and and Barkley that are sort of knocking on the door for the, for the World Cup. So I can't I can't see Delph featuring in Roy's in thoughts never mind his squad.
2: I I, I love how the guy asked him after the game. Like, oh, did you mean that goal? He almost took offense to it. Of course, he meant it. You're not going to do that accident. It's not like Welbeck's goal at the Euros, where you could—I don't know if he meant it or not—but you know, you could see how that might have been a little bit lucky. But this, come on, Mourinho made the point that given the last time Chris Foy officiated uh, a Chelsea game, uh, he sent off two Chelsea players. That was the—that uh, was the game at QPR, which had the uh, Rio Ferdinand John Terry incident in it. I thought that was some of the worst officiating uh, in the 90 minutes. In fact. Could argue that was one of the last times that uh, a Chelsea team got absolutely screwed. I thought by the officials. He made the point that maybe Chris Foy shouldn't be appointed to referee Chelsea again. Um,
0: Oh yeah, this is this is an interesting trend, isn't it? Managers are starting to decide (laughs) lists of referees that they will accept officiating their matches and ones where they just don't think it's appropriate at well, all. You can't Tony you can't Pula even start ago. on this line. Where does it finish? Where does it finish to even give well, it credence as an idea that a manager should indicate who should or should not referee their matches? Well, it's ridiculous. What
2: they do with, for example, with, with arbitration is you have a list of referees and the two clubs have to decide and they have to agree who they want and they can veto people. Uh, I'm saying in the Mourinho world this might be one way, one way to do it. Kind of like a mix between
1: the UN Security Council and trying to prepare your wedding guest list. Precisely.
2: Yeah. right? That would be
3: great. So we turn the Premier League into a mass sort of jewelry selection. Uh, <laughs> well,
2: uh, let me put it title, this way, so. right? Um, how, how would we get our 60 games a season? Well, no, but we're wearing my capitalist hat, right? You have the PGMOL, right? They have a list of referees that says, these are your 20 referees to choose from. Okay, teams, get together. Decide who you want out of those 20. Do it by Wednesday or whatever. If you can't decide, we will appoint one for you, right?
1: That's not, that's not, that's not a crazy idea. Thank I, you. I think to some extent it already exists. Is it, it Clattenburg who didn't referee Everton for four years or five years after giving a decision that was actually correct in the Merseyside Derby? Yeah.
2: I, I mean, but, but I, I mean, think there's an unofficial. That Chris comes down to, to, to Riley, right?
1: But wh- whatever the PGMOL say, there is no way Chris Foy will go anywhere near Chelsea for years. Guarantee that. Guarantee it.
2: Would that be so bad? Oh, qualified referee? I mean, ultimately, what's the, the, the purpose of the referee is there to serve the football clubs, right? I think if it's. And officiate. Without the referee, we can't have a professional game. Gab, right?
1: I'm not a professional referee, and Alison should. I will defer to Alison, but what I would say is that if it's, if it's informal. And it's on this basis that, you know, Mourinho gets to complain about Chris Foy, so Chris Foy can't referee Chelsea. That is extra- extraordinarily dangerous.
3: If you yes, formalise it, say, yeah.
2: then fine. If we Why not go the whole hog, right? No, no, a, no, a, no, 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 no,
0: no, 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 because...
2: We need to have the star chamber deciding what referee is good for you?
0: No, there's already a pro- there's already a problem with with finding a route to top le- really respect- respected referees. You need referees who are have that guts to give penalties against the home team, give decisions against the more powerful teams. And it's a headline because Chris Foy has in his career dared to send off Chelsea players. And it may just be that other referees should have at other times and have not had the strength of character to do that. If you start saying, well, that referee, you know, maybe won't let him go near Chelsea for a bit. What you have is referees coming through refereeing games um, Stanford Bridge or that, you know, uh, Mourinho is in charge of, who, who are the, the ones who don't make headlines because they just don't have the guts to ever right. give those, I, those 50-50 decisions there, where they, Alison, have to, they have to okay, believe they're doing the right You've
2: made your thing. point. No, I, 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 I take your point there. However, if the two football clubs both agree that this is the kind of referee that they want and they think it's good for them and for the game and for the Premier League, shouldn't the clubs get to decide...
3: No, of course not. I mean, it's like saying you should get to pick your exam questions. It's total nonsense. I mean, all you'd get is you'd get the biggest clubs cherry-picking their favourite referees because it's human nature that the ambitious young referee is going to want to officiate at the biggest grounds, the biggest clubs, being the champions that go to the World Cup. So you just get your Mark Halsey's Texting Jose Mourinho every <laughs> other week, going on holiday to his villa, right. and it's just created. Okay, you've given, given the bigger clubs an even bigger advantage than they already have. No, no, no,
2: because the, because the, the the bigger club, the Manchester City, who plays against Palace, the two clubs would have to agree who the referee is. They would do it from the list of available referees that weekend. Obviously, you can't have the same referee officiating every single game, so you know th- 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 there would be some selection process but you know the pgmol would say you got to pick from these guys and you can't have him and you can't have him and you'd have the usual restrictions that you would normally have
1: i i think as i say that your your idea is not entirely crazy i prefer it personally it's not my idea it's Mourinho's idea if either we did yeah because we... marine is a man to
3: propose uh far sighted so uh, you know selfless proposals for the betterment of football isn't he
1: the... I'd either say I'd, I'd happily ban managers talking about referees. I, I think it's incredibly damaging. I think that there is a circle, there's a direct link between the amount that managers talk about referees and the amount that fans complain about referees and the number of bad decisions given. I think that, that they they are linked, and that we need to do something to stop that. But I would also say that you could just get rid of the referee completely.
2: Okay, this will be a debate for another time because I'd love to know how he.
0: Oh going no to do no that. no! I want the final word. If you're a referee and you've been picked by your.
2: P-G-M- your system this, this,
0: this system you've proposed Gerb, and you're the referee for um, Chelsea versus West Brom who are you most flattered by having been picked by is it going to be you were picked because Chelsea or are you going to be really flattered that West Brom also wanted you of course not you're going to go along to that game thinking oh Chelsea wanted me. And that is going to influence you. You have a
2: really low opinion of PGM M O L. No, no, it's human nature. It's human nature. If you, bring in, if you okay. bring in
0: favoritism, it will right. have a slow, insidious impact.
2: All right, moving on to our debate this week, which we've taken up so much time on these three big games, so uh, we won't have much of a debate, but we're just going to uh, cross-promote because that's what we do. That's how we roll. Rory, you wrote about a guy named um, Neil Franklin. Uh, who uh, maybe is not as famous as uh, Charlie Mitten and the other dude who, uh, who was his companion. <laughs> not as famous adventures.
1: as the other dude. <laughs> <laughs>
2: the, guy, the guy I don't remember. Can you can you give us a quick, quick capsule of what you wrote about?
1: So Neil Franklin was an England centre-half in the 1950s who played for Stoke City. He fell out with the management at Stoke in the age of retain and transfer, which meant that he couldn't move clubs. He had He was essentially indentured labor to yeah too so I,
2: younger listeners who don't know this um, movement and freedom of contract ultimately was made possible by the Bosman ruling which in turn was made possible by the European Court of Justice and the European Union the the even the movement before the before Bosman
1: was was much freer than it was in the 50s and 60s when players couldn't re- couldn't request transfers they couldn't everything had to be done through the clubs it was it was a form of indentured labor and they had a maximum wage at a well. maximum wage <laughs> Neil Franklin was earning 12 pounds a week uh, so for, it's, the ni- it's 1950, the summer of 1950, uh, Neil Franklin wants to leave Stoke City. Stoke City eff- effectively say he can't, but that if he stays he won't play. Uh, Independiente Santa Fe come to him from, from dark, mysterious Colombia and offer him £2,500 to play for a year in, in Bogota. Um, Franklin decides to accept the offer. And goes to Bodotar on this certitious, mysterious, sort of shady route via flights. He, to he
2: changed about seven planes. Seven planes. planes.
1: Yeah, in his book, he says that the, we went the usual route. We went London to Shannon, Shannon to Goose Bay, Goose Bay to, to Ibelwild, New York. You think, well, that's it's really not the usual route. That's uh, that's quite a lot of different flights. He then goes to Miami and Kingston, uh, Barranquilla, and uh, Bogota. Arrives in Bogota to find a city that it's not as has been that's been sold to him. Um, and the reason this this was all possible, it, it turns out unhappily for him, does he only last six games? And he he sort of melts away into the night and disappears from 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 Bogotá and, and New York, never goes back. The reason that it's all po- possible is because of a split in the Colombian Football Federation. They'd launched a professional league, which had been thrown out of FIFA, um, which meant that they didn't have to apply by FIFA ru- ab- abide by FIFA rules.
2: Fight the power, baby. They
1: could sign players from all over the world, including. Uh, Neil Franklin, including Charlie Mitten from Man United, and most notably Alfredo Di, Di, Di Stefano from River Plate, or Di Stefano, as some of us call him. Uh, which one, if you're pronouncing it incorrectly? Yes, um, which meant, of course, that led directly to the the, um, the sort of com- competition for his signature between Barcelona and Real Madrid, because one of them did a deal with the Argentine club, one of them did a deal with the Colombian club.
2: Millonarios, no?
1: Millonarios, yeah, and uh, and River Plate. Pronounce it correctly, Dab. Come on, and it's this great story, not just about Franklin's kind of disappearance which reads a bit like a thriller but also about a league in 1950s colombia which was a a forerunner really of everything we know about football it was a black and white age of football um but the mayor the league in colombia was was all about advertising it was about corporate sponsorship it was about international players it was the premier league 60 years before or 50 years before anyone even
2: dreamed of it it's a really interesting story there you go and some people thought that football was invented in uh, 1992 so Rory's Neil Franklin piece is still available online I, I think it, it, is, it is worth reading it's, it, it, it's a bit different uh, the reason I mentioned Charlie Mitten of course he was one of three English players who went out there right and he actually lasted the whole year because he wasn't a turncoat
1: that's a bit harsh on Franklin but yes and who was the other dude? George Mountford George Mountford the, the Bobby Flavell went from Hearts as well I think there was one other that went The five British players in total
2: there you go alright how about some quick hits? See, Felix Magath's Tough Guy Act does work as Fulham overcome Newcastle 1-0. Allison, please tell me they'll be just fine and that all they needed to do was to play somebody named Collie Woodrow up front.
0: Yeah, they're going to be absolutely fine.
2: And who's Collie Woodrow?
0: And he's... God knows, but, you know, I liked his post-match interview where he quite clearly is slightly terrified of the new manager but but said, I'm not going to say that because he's picked me so he must be fantastic. It's wild, reckless and, you know, history will show whether it was one of the more foolish decisions ever made by a football club to just keep churning out a new management team every few weeks but if he can pull it off, and I want him to pull it off now because it would be re- remarkable Fulham need other teams to implode and there are a few in and around who, like Norwich, who might just do that.
2: Southampton, roll over Norwich 4-0 and Jay Rodriguez seals a show Husey, is there a better English striker not named Daniel that you can name this season?
3: Other than James Vaughan, no I can't think of any, but that doesn't mean he's any good or should go to the World Cup um, because he shouldn't
2: you're just a beacon of positivity today. Well, every day. Vincent company gets sent off in the first few minutes, but City have enough to grab two goals at Hull. Rory, will we remember this as the turning point in the title race?
1: I think the, t- the, t- the title race is so crazy, so chaotic, you, you can't really be certain. It might be one of those that looks like a turning point in hindsight, but it did feel significant because City showed a lot of resilience and a lot of expertise and a lot of composure in dealing with that situation. So yeah, it felt it felt important whether it's, it's the key point we will only know later.
2: Joe Hart thought that George Boyd took a dive, so he got in his face, and he got a big gob of spit for his troubles. Uh, Allison Hart got a yellow. Should it have been more for his uh, Insanio reaction? Um, and since spitting really seems to be out of bounds in this country, oh, what would appropriate punishment for um, that foreigner, Mr. Boyd, who's <laughs> uh, who's taking these disgusting practices and helping them creep into your game be?
0: Well, there's there's no there's no gray area about it. If you spit at an opponent, it's a straight red. Okay, so but it, it wasn't in this
2: case. So what, how should you punish him now?
0: Yep. And it's, it looks beautiful in slow motion, and we, it just underlines how infrequently we see players spitting at at each other in temper. It's it's confused the situation confused slightly because Boyd was spitting because he'd had Hart go at him in a provoking headbutting style, and if Boyd hadn't moved his head out of the way, there could have even been blood, and then Hart would have got a red. So it seems slightly harsh to punish Boyd retrospectively when, in fact, his actions meant that Hart was not sent off they were all behaving badly and I actually thought it was a penalty that Boyd, right, so what punishment, Boyd should have won a penalty
2: what punishment would you meet out come on referee on whom would you have sent Hart off
0: For yeah probably yeah because although it's a bit like the, when you tackle but you don't make contact with right. the man but you don't make contact with the ball and the man falls over he tried to headbutt him and but the fact that the head was moved out the way meant doesn't mean that it wasn't an aggressive act so yeah
2: Everton get all three points largely because they were playing Cardiff but as Tony Barrett writes in his match report they kind of look like to be a side running out of steam uh, Husey is this inevitable for a side like this at this stage of the season?
3: Um, well it's inevitable Everton would have dipped at certain point of the year given this relatively small size of the squad I also think they've kind of found their level. Martinez has done a great job in his first season, but fifth, sixth, seventh is probably where they're going to be unless they can invest significantly um, going forward.
2: Uh, Usual script for West Brom. Uh, They stink it up in the first half, then storm back and win, thanks to Yusuf Malumbu's late goal. Uh, Rory, you speak Spanish, so you must be on authority on him. Is this part of Pepe Mel's master plan? Basically go out there and blow and uh, lull the opposition into a false sense of security and then strike like a cobra in the second half?
1: <laughs> that would be a good plan, yeah. Um, I don't know if Pepe Mel has a, a master plan. I quite like him, Pepe Mel. He seems like a nice man.
2: Many people don't. seem to. The, the, the punditocracy in this country seem to think he's some kind of weirdo fraud, maybe because he, he writes books.
1: Well, I, I think, I think there's, there's a question mark over whether Clark should have been sacked. I think there's a question mark over whether Mel's CV is, is good enough to, to warrant a job in the Premier League. I don't know if there is a master plan. I think West Brom are going to have a very, very sort of nervy end to the season. I suspect they'll survive. But what I would say is that I don't think he's nearly as bad as has been made out. Because if you look at, I know he's got, he, this was his eighth game, his first win. But four of, those have been, four of his home games have been here. You know, it's Liverpool, Everton, Chelsea and Man United. So that if he, I mean, if, if he'd had Fulham, Norwich, Palace, and Sunderland, then it presumably would have been a slightly better record. So sweet how you count United among the big teams. Uh, jab one for you. Bayern made it fifty games unbeaten in the Bundesliga, but I understand their celebrations were
2: somewhat muted. Why is that? <laughs> they were somewhat muted, Rory, because Ole Hernis, who's been at the club since nineteen. 19- 70 wasn't there. There was an empty chair. Uh, his seat was empty uh, right up there next to Franz Beckenbauer, and that is because uh, he was convicted of evading uh, something in the region of fifteen million pounds of tax over the years. It's hard to overstate Ernest's impact on the club and, and the role he's played on and off the pitch uh, over the years. Um, the one thing you can say is they they knew he was going away, so presumably they sort of prepared as best they could, but I don't know if it's something you can really fully prepare for, and that is the one thing, should they hit a bump, because they all have, the club is still full of, of gobby people, right, and should things get a little bit tricky, might some people speak out of terms, might Guardiola's nose get a little out of joint, that's the one thing, but it is the ultimate nightmare scenario.
1: Do you find it ironic that whenever, with with Herning going at, at, at Bayern and the stuff that's happened at Barca, that as soon as one like one one person does something bad, everyone says, "Oh well, German football's not it's not all it's cracked up to be." You know, they're all tax frauds. Do you like that when they do that? I do.
2: I, I I love gross generalizations and about football. Like when, when
1: when Barca. A, a, a club owned by its members when Barca overpays for a player and, and does something dodgy everyone knows oh well the Spanish system and the, uh, the Premier League is not so bad no, on know. the same day that Charleston Young is convicted of, of forgery or whatever it was
2: uh, don't take it up with me go tell your mate Graham Souness. Uh many thanks to my guests today it's Roy K. Smith Alison Rudd and Matt Hughes now a uh, quick reminder every single week you can catch all the Premier League action via the Times app download it now uh, we're all on Twitter and uh, we all like to uh, be uh, pulled up on th- about things that we say on the podcast, especially Rory especially things Rory said three years ago uh, we'll be back next week, bye bye your
1: subscription to the Times and the Sunday Times now comes with access to every Barclays Premier League goal, refresh your app choose your team, accept notification and you're away Hi, I'm Tim Montgomery, the presenter of another Times podcast from the opinion
3: pages called Did You Read? It's the perfect weekly snapshot of some of the best
1: writing in the newspaper. Find out more by heading to thetimes.co.uk slash commentcentral and search Did You Read to subscribe on iTunes.